Hi, Journey. How are y'all doing today? Really good to be with you. We are talking about vulnerability and shame and judgment and the like, and we're doing that through the lens of Brene Brown's new best-selling book called Rising Strong. We're holding that book up alongside the scriptures because God has a whole lot to say about those exact topics, doesn't he? If you missed last week, I'd invite you to get the vodcast or the podcast. Go to journeyweb.net or to iTunes because it really sort of sets the whole conversation up with that foundation that we built last Sunday. And today we're going to talk about worthiness. We're going to talk about our personal sense of worthiness, where that sense of our worth comes from, how many of us are constantly hustling for worthiness. So many people feel day in and day out that they have to hustle for their worthiness because unless they do, there's a whole bunch of people walking around planet earth that just feel like they aren't worth so much. And I think that it's when we're down for the count, when we're face down in the dirt in the middle of the arena, bloodied and battered, wondering Do I have what it takes to get up and try again? It's when we're at our very lowest ebb that our sense of intrinsic value and worthiness really gets tested. Really find out what we're made of when it comes to worthiness in those moments. See, because for most people anyway, there's enough positive things happening most of the time in all of our lives, in the day-to-day, that those little infusions, little injections of worthiness that get communicated to us about ourselves, they kind of keep us going when it comes to our worth. Lots of you, I'm sure, know what I'm talking about. These little positives that come at us, about us, that communicate that we've got worth, that we've got value. For example, you get a raise at work. That tells you that you're worth more today than you were yesterday. You have an increased sense of personal worth and value. Get commended, for example, on your work on a project. Ah, I do. I have value. Your coach tells you how great you are and how much you're improving. That communicates to you that you've got greater value. You get an A on a test. Whoa, I'm worth something. Your bank account has money in it. Like you're literally worth something at that point, right? Your friend tells you, man, you look absolutely great, right? You get the idea. All these things that we get told, whether it's directly or indirectly, communicate to us that we've got worth and that we've got value. And under normal circumstances, those are enough to sustain us. Those things are enough to sort of carry us along, but then we fail sometimes, don't we? At least I do. You don't get the expected raise at work. Your effort on that project gets panned. Your coach tells you that you're not so good. You get an F on a test. Your bank account is underwater. Your friend looks at you and says, how much weight have you gained exactly? And it's in those kinds of moments, isn't it, that you find yourself face down in the mud and the dirt of the arena. You showed up. You were seen. You didn't have any guarantee of the outcome. And you got a zinger, a stinger of an outcome that you never expected and you're down in the dirt for the count. And if you've ever been there, it's right there for me, maybe for you. It's in those face down in the dirt kinds of moments that my sense of personal worth just gets assailed. It just takes a beating and a battering. It's in those face down in the dirt moments that any worth, self-worth that I thought I had, it's gone in like an instant with a word sometimes, with a glance other times, with a whisper other times, and it's just gone. Maybe 
some of you identify with what I'm talking about. I know I've told you it's been some years now about the time when my friend made me, and I mean made me borrow his brand new Harley Davidson motorcycle. I didn't want to borrow it. He made me. He delivered it to my house against my wishes, against my better judgment. He delivered it to my house. And the very first time I rode my friend's brand new Harley Davidson motorcycle, I crashed it into the side of a school bus full of children. True story. I crashed my friend. I'm just going to say it again. It's confession time. I crashed my friend's brand new Harley Davidson into the side of a school bus full of kids. And it was the most humiliating thing that ever happened to me in my entire life. Why? Well, because really, the only thing bigger than a school bus that I could have possibly hit would have been like a house, right? I hit the biggest, brightest thing on the road with the smallest thing on the road, and I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. And as I recall, I think the place where I left the story off with, you know, this was like five years ago. If you forgot or you weren't around then, that's okay. The place I left off, I believe, was me laying face down in the middle of the street. I didn't even want to get up. I was just laying there in a heap on the ground. I wasn't physically injured. My shoulder hurt because that's where I took the school bus, like right here on my shoulder. That hurt a, a little bit, but I'm laying face down in the street. And I recall hearing this odd sound that just didn't seem like it belonged in that moment. The school bus is like right here. The wrecked motorcycle is like over there. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to figure out what this peculiar sound is. And so I turn my head like this and here's the school bus and I pan up the side of the school bus and there's 35 elementary school heads looking out, heads hanging out the windows and they're looking down at me and they're laughing. (laughs) They're laughing at me. All 35 kids laughing at the idiot who hit the biggest thing on the road with the motorcycle. So there I am, and I'm laying there in the middle of the road, wrecked bike, school bus, looking at laughing children. I'm being mocked, and I had two thoughts. One of them I told you about. Remember this? This is why. This is the first thing that went through my head. This is why you don't borrow other people's motorcycles, right? There's a good lesson there. But then there wasn't a period after the word motorcycles. As I lay there in the middle of the street that day in the heights of Billings, I kept going. I finished the sentence, and here's how I completed the sentence. You stupid, worthless piece of beep. And that's the tape that played over and over and over again through my head. And I had to deal with the police that day. I got a ticket that day because I don't have a motorcycle endorsement, and I'm not even supposed to be riding a Truly not supposed to be riding a motorcycle. And so I got a ticket from a guy who was part of the church that I was a part of leading. I had to pick up the phone and call the Harley shop and tell them I wrecked my friend's brand new, and they're like, whose bike was it? I told them, that's a brand new bike. I know, I know it's a brand new bike. I know it's a brand new bike. You stupid, worthless piece of... Paramedics, like multiple ambulances come sirening up to the scene because they hear school bus, motorcycle collision, you know, they got bloody kids everywhere in their heads, I guess. Paramedics, all who were a part of our church, of course. Pastor Brian, are you okay? Like, no, I'm not really okay. Firefighters from our church are showing up on the scene. I've got to talk to the bus driver, the bus company, about how stupid I am. You stupid, worthless piece of... I got to call my friend whose motorcycle I just destroyed. Hey, you stupid, worthless... That's the tape that's playing. 
I walked home. It was like three blocks from our house. I didn't even make it very far from our house. Three blocks from our house, I walk home and I got to walk through the front door. And Dan is like, what, what, are you, what are you doing here? And I got to tell her, you stupid, worthless. That's the tape that played. You stupid, worthless. And I'd hazard a guess that in those moments, that everyone is a lot like me when they have those moments. Most of the time, Life's going along pretty good. There's enough worth-boosting stuff that we're getting day-to-day. It sort of keeps us going, but then something sort of slams us out of the blue, and our sense of self-worth just evaluate, uh, evaporates in a moment. And how you thought you saw yourself is wrecked in just a moment. Now, if you'd have asked me before I wrecked my buddy's motorcycle if I had any self-worth issues, I would have said, absolutely not. I believe to the core of my being, I've got a pretty healthy view of myself. I think I see myself as God sees me. I I think I'm doing pretty good. But I found out that wasn't quite the case. All it took was a little motorcycle wreck and it's undone. I see myself, I understand myself to be a stupid, worthless piece of, and I've been reflecting on this. And what I've gathered is that most of us, most of the time, I believe, don't take this the wrong way, are worthiness hustlers. Most of us, most of the time, are worthiness hustlers. Meaning that most of us, most of the time, are striving and climbing and trying and pursuing and hoping for and hustling for opportunities to get those little infusions of worthiness injected into our existence, into our lives. We're hustling to be called worthy by someone at some point because many of us, a whole bunch of the time, intrinsically feel that we're not worthy. And so we go after it. We hustle for it. We hustle to prove that we're worthy of the raise at work. We hustle to prove that we're worthy of being commended for our effort on a project. We hustle to prove to our coach, I am getting better, I am improving. I hustle to prove that I've got what it takes to get an A on the test. We hustle to squirrel away as much money as we possibly can in the bank account so that we can prove I've got what it takes to be successful. We hustle in front of the mirror. We hustle at the gym to prove to our friends that we're worthy enough for you to tell me that I'm attractive. We're hustlers, worthiness hustlers, because we need, we crave these regular infusions of worthiness from other people telling us that we're worthy because so many of us don't feel it in here. And if we've been around the church very long, there's one part of you that says, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to need those infusions of worthiness from anyone other than God, right? Intellectually, we know this. Intellectually, many of us know that we we don't have to hustle for worthiness. We go to verses like Genesis 1.27 a whole bunch of the time. Listen to what the scripture says, Genesis 1.27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. There's this imprint of God himself that he makes on every single human being. What's it called? That's a little Latin phrase. It starts with an I. We say it around here a lot. The Imago Dei. That's exactly right. God stamps his own image on us. He started with Adam and Eve and he hasn't ever stopped doing it since. You and I, every person the world over bears the very image of God himself. You are created in the image of God himself. God imprints himself, his image on us. All of these positive adjectives that we can say that describe God are imprinted on us. It's true. It's absolutely true. And it's kind of this like, whoa, 
That's true, and it occupies a piece of our intellectual capacity. We're made in God's image. We're of inestimable worth. You could not have more intrinsic value than you do right now, period, right? We know that intellectually. Sometimes we go to the New Testament. We go to Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, and we read this verse. Paul says, for we are God's masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. That's Paul's way of saying, in essence, the very same thing that Genesis tells us, the imprint of God being on all of us. What do you know? God's a masterpiece. He is. And when he made us, he made us a masterpiece just like he is, all of us. Every person in the world is a masterpiece. Your worst enemy is a masterpiece. You are too. And we go like, that's all well and good. But when you're face down in the mud and the mire, in the middle of the arena, when you got 35 elementary school kids laughing and mocking you because you just crashed a motorcycle into the side of their school bus, the tapes that play through your head aren't, oh yeah, I'm made in the image of God. Oh yeah, I'm a masterpiece. That isn't what plays, is it? I wish that's the tape that played on repeat. When we're face down in the dirt and the dust and the mud of the arena, you know what plays through our heads? You stupid, worthless. What plays through our heads is all the other times we've fallen flat on our faces and all the other things that people have said about who I am and what I am, how unworthy I am. I'm not the only person in this room who's experienced that, am I? Please tell me I'm not by myself in this. That makes me feel better, thanks. The tapes that play on repeat when we're face down in the arena are worth stealing lies that people may have told us or been telling us for our entire lives when we've fallen face down in the dirt. And when we fall down again, when we fail again, when we crash again, when we burn again, it's like reflexive that those tapes just start up. We don't ask them to. We're like, no, please, not that again. They just start playing. And at least for me, they play like a prosecuting attorney, making the case for just how worthless I am. And in those moments, sadly, Genesis 1.27 and Ephesians 2.10, whether I have them memorized or or not, they're nowhere to be found in those moments. And maybe you're something like me in that. Why? Why is that the case? I'd suggest that it's because a whole bunch of us, we've got decades, some of us, depending on how old we are, we've got decades of the exact opposite playing right over the top of God's truth, declaring over and over and over to us that we don't have intrinsic value, that we don't have great worth, And just look at the latest mess that you've made, Brian. It just proves it right there. There it is on display for the whole world to see. And so you see then the amount of material can't even compare. Yeah, we've got some nice verses from the Bible that tell us that's not the case. That tell us that we have inestimable worth. But when you compare these handful of verses with 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or for some of us even 80 years of lived experience, it doesn't even hold a candle to the amount of worth-stealing data that we've got draped around our necks and playing on repeat through our minds. And so in response, we have to become worthiness hustlers. We're just trying as hard as we possibly can to keep our heads above the water of all the worth-stealing data from our past. And so these little tidbits of worthiness-proving stuff, these injections of worth that we get, that we hustle to earn and that we're running to achieve and that we chase down to capture, they're like undersized water wings 
that we cling to and we hang on to them ever so tightly to try to keep our heads above the water, this sea of worthiness sapping stories and comments, experiences from our past. And oh, how we need those. Oh, how we need those. And so we pursue them and we hustle after them. One of the best examples of worthiness hustlers in the scriptures is this guy named, little guy named Zacchaeus. Know the story? So be like grade school all over again. I won't make you sing the song. If some of you have no idea what song I'm talking about. Ask somebody. They'll sing it for you when we're done. Luke 19, we pick up the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus entered the town of Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich. Zacchaeus worked for the IRS, sort of. What's really true is that Zacchaeus more or less worked for himself. He assessed the taxes on the people in this fairly large region. He would have assessed a hefty fee for his services in addition to the taxes. He had this whole horde of assistant tax collectors. They would go out into the communities. They would collect the taxes at confiscatory percentages, confiscatory amounts. They would bring it all back to Zacchaeus. They would dump it out at his feet. He would pay those under collectors a pittance for their services. And then he would take whatever he wanted from all of that. And whatever was left over, whatever he really didn't want, he would pass on to the treasury of the government. Here, you take that, I'll take all of this. And this is the perfect job for a worthiness hustler, isn't it? Every time Zacchaeus gets a boatload of money dropped on him from his under-tax collectors is a little boost to his self-worth factor. Aren't I worth something? Look at everything I have, all that I have amassed. Look how rich I am. I just say a word and people have to pay me. Whenever he felt the need for one of those little water wings of worth, he just send the guys out to collect another round of taxes. Ah, oh, aren't I something? But Jesus one day decides to go to Jericho, the town where Zacchaeus worked and lived. He didn't have any friends in this town, I promise you. He was completely friendless. But here comes Jesus. And Jesus is such a celebrity, anybody who was anybody would have wanted to just catch a glimpse of Jesus. You know, like take a selfie with Jesus in it, post it to social media, this little worthiness booster for the worthiness hustler Zacchaeus. However, Zacchaeus has a little problem, doesn't he? Luke 19.3, he, Zacchaeus, tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. And we go like, ah, oh, poor guy. And we don't have any idea just how short Zacchaeus was. Short enough, though, that the biblical text records this fact for us. Too short to see over the crowd. We don't know this for sure either. It seems a safe bet, though, doesn't it, that Zacchaeus' favorite food was probably shortbread. Washed down with a little condensed milk. <laughs> Kidding aside, very bad. You're right. <laughs> Kidding aside, as I've been reflecting on Zacchaeus, I think it's safe to wager that Zacchaeus became a worthiness hustler in large part because he had spent his whole life being told that he didn't matter, that he didn't have worth because he's so short. All the short jokes. Ones like I just told, sorry. You're short. You're nothing. You won't ever amount to anything. And so in response to his being made to feel worthless, you know what he said? I'll show you. And every time he collected taxes from all those same people who made fun of how tall he was, every time he took confiscatory sums of money from them, 
I'll show you. I'll show you. I'll show you. Just a giant pushback against all those worth-stealing comments, worth-stealing events, worth-stealing jokes from his past. But he's a worthiness hustler, remember. And his worthiness depended on him being in the thick of everything. So there's not any chance that he's going to settle for telling people, oh yeah, I tried to get a look at Jesus, but I was way too short to see over all your big heads. His drive is hustle for worthiness compelled him. And so in Luke 19.4, so he, that Zacchaeus, ran ahead. He climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. Picture that scene. Set it into contemporary society because a couple thousand years ago, it doesn't mean too much to us, right? But imagine the head of the IRS, the head of the Internal Revenue Service. He's all decked out in his business suit. He's got a tie on. He's wearing wingtip shoes and he is running down the street and he finds a tree and climbs up a tree. That's the scene with Zacchaeus. It's striking, And what's striking is how much Zacchaeus is hustling. I'm going to have the best vantage point to see Jesus. Then I'll be able to tell everyone I know. I don't have any friends to tell, but I'll tell everyone I know just how well I could see Jesus. And I'll go, whoa, Zacchaeus, you're something. Hustle, 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 hustle. All in a vain attempt to prove that he's worth something. And then Luke 19.5. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Whoa. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Jesus knows worthiness hustlers when he sees us. He reads us like books and he calls Zacchaeus down. And here's the message for Zacchaeus. Hey, Zacchaeus, you're worth so much to me. Get that. Zacchaeus, you're worth so much to me that I know your name And I'm coming to your house and we're going to have dinner together. You're worth so much to me, Zacchaeus, that I know your name and I'm coming to your house for dinner. And so Zacchaeus, the text says, quickly climbed down, took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. Of course they were. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled about Jesus. And we don't know the full texture of the conversation that Jesus and Zacchaeus had. We can see the end result. You can go read it sometime if you'd like. But it's my hypothesis that Jesus and Zacchaeus spent the evening together with Jesus saying to his new friend Zacchaeus, hey bud, you know what? All that stuff in your past that's caused you so much hurt and pain and difficulty, all that stuff that stole your sense of worth, all that stuff that led you to believe that you had to hustle to prove your worthiness, Jesus said to Zacchaeus, I want that stuff. I want you to hand over that stuff. I want you to hand over those lies. Hand over all of that untruth. Hand it over. I want to take it from you. I want to take the hurt. I want to, give the, I want to take the feelings of unworthiness. Will you let me have it? I want to heal you. Zacchaeus, I want to heal you of all of that crap in your past that led you to be the guy you are today. Let me have it. Because I'm going to heal you, Zacchaeus. And I believe with all my heart that Zacchaeus sat there with Jesus that evening over a fantastic meal and dumped all of that hurt out, all of the stuff that stole his sense of self-worth over the course of his entire lifetime, 
And I believe that Zacchaeus gave every single one of those things to Jesus. One worth stealing event at a time. It would have taken a while. And Jesus' message with each one, he'd say to Zacchaeus, you're enough. Zacchaeus, you're enough. I made you enough and you don't have to hustle. You can stop hustling. Zacchaeus, you have intrinsic worth because of who I made you to be. You're enough, Zacchaeus. And no matter what you do, no matter what you don't do, no matter how much you have or don't have, you're worthy. Zacchaeus, you're worthy. You're enough. I made you enough. And as each one of us comes to grips with how much we hustle for our sense of worth, I believe today that Jesus wants us all to hear the same thing that he told Zacchaeus that day at his house over that dinner. You're enough. You're enough. And so the band's gonna sing that truth, that reality. Set your stuff aside and just dial into this. You're enough.
invite you to move into a posture of prayer and listening and reflection with the Lord if you would. Jesus says to every single one of us, you're enough. You're enough. But living that truth out when you're face down in the middle of the arena, battered and bloody from another crash and burn, it can't just be about flipping a switch in our heads. Won't do it. If it was that easy, none of us would ever feel the need to have to hustle for our worthiness, ever. We'd just flip the switch. The key to living that truth, you're enough every single day, whether you're winning or whether you're face down in the middle of the street, bloody and battered, your ability to live the truth that you're enough hinges on whether you've allowed, asked, invited Jesus to heal you or not. It all hinges on the fact, have you given Jesus all those worth-stealing moments over your whole life, like one by one by one by one and asked him to take them and ask him to replace the damage there with his life, with his truth, with his healing and redemption. And it's quite a road and it's quite a process, but I'm here today to tell you it is so worth it. It's been a huge part of the journey that I've been on with the Lord and it is so worth it and so with that challenge before you perhaps today is your day where you might just begin that process of healing with the Lord when you just ask him to meet you in the midst of the mess in the midst of the pain in the midst of the brokenness the damage and ask him to heal all those times when the message was you're not enough When the message was, oh, there you go again. Blew that one. Yep, expected it. It's just a matter of time. And you just give those to him. And you say, God, I need you to heal me. Because I'm just exhausted of hustling for my worthiness. I just want you to heal me. I just want to be done with it. I just want no matter what happens, whether it's good or whether it's bad, I just want to live in that truth that I'm enough. That I'm enough. Whatever business that you need to do with God around that, just do it. Just do it. And then there's this bit. See, every single person on planet Earth is worth so much to God that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much value you have to him that he gave his one and only son to die on the cross for you.
And perhaps today you're coming face to face with that Jesus, grasping the magnitude of his love and grace and pursuit and value that he ascribes to you. And maybe for you today is the day when you come home to Jesus. When you, as we say around here, cross the line of faith in him. You give your heart and life, everything about you, you give to him. And if that's you, I'd invite you to pray with me right where you are. Just say, Jesus, I am just spent of hustling for my worth. And I need you, Jesus. I can't overcome this sin problem. I can't save myself. And so by faith, Jesus, all the faith that I can muster up, I gratefully receive your gift of salvation. Be my savior, please, Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross and thank you for rising from the grave. Here's my life, my heart, all of me. Trusting you, Jesus, with my everything. And Jesus, we thank you so much for these who are saying to you today, I want you, I need you. What an incredible thing that is. Spectacular that we get to be present for your work in these lives. And Jesus, we want to live in that truth that we're enough. We don't want to hustle and we don't want to scratch and we don't want to claw for our worth. We just want to live out this thing that you say is true, this reality that you've imbued to us, stamped on us. We're enough. And help us carry, Jesus, that value, that incredible value that you've ascribed to us out into the world. And that we'd be messengers of the value that you convey to every person on planet Earth. Because we're not alone in this worthiness hustling. We're surrounded by people every single day, everywhere we go, who think they've got to hustle for worthiness as well. Jesus, would you allow us to help them off of that treadmill and help them come to know you and come to know that you're enough. Jesus, that we could walk that out and live that out every moment of every single day. We're enough. We're enough.